is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 83, operating on June 28th, 2021. This is Drew and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Doug. We're two Av geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Doug, we have Chris Slimmer on today. He's a real. <laughs> We've had fringe Av geeks on. This is the real deal. He's a real card-carrying Av geek. He has been the president of the World Airline Historical Society, and we're just getting ready. And he's—we've already seen what is it a Avgeek Dewey Decimal System yeah. <laughs> card catalog about all the stuff he has. Yeah, he, he ripped I, his, I, the, the airport postcard collection. <laughs> yeah, he, he ripped his Ethernet out while trying to show us. But no, yeah. you're, Drew, you're you're totally right. I think we now are the fringe Avgeeks now that now that Chris is yeah. on the show. We're really excited to help. Chris promote Airliners International, which is a conference and airline collectible show in Phoenix, July 7th through the 10th, which you are going to be attending with Chris. Chris, the tables are turned today. We may be verifying our AvGeek credentials. Welcome. You'll be out. You'll do good. We'll see. I'm nervous for this. All right, Chris. So we want to hear the details about the event and we're going to indulge in your AvGeek stories a bit, but let's take a moment and see how everyone's week was. Let me start real quick. So... <laughs> You talked about a certain person that we both know, <laughs> and uh, one of his sayings, apparently, I've heard, is uh, when they're talking about the operation at how much, how many planes he can take at his airport, he says, bring him on, we're going to run it hard. <laughs> <laughs> so we ran it hard at my airport. The flights are full. The fleet is, I don't want to stretch say stretch thin, because we do still have some spares, but it's not like it used to be two months ago. We don't have all these spares sitting around. But we're running it hard. Um, the flights are a little bit later than they used to be because we've got families. We've got people in wheelchairs. We've got people going on vacation. So we're doing our best to get everyone on. So the goal for this month is less for on-time performance because the airline knows that we have a lot going on. I flew that. I flew on uh, that airline on um, on Wednesday, and they're very nice. It was They actually waited for a few connection passengers, which is a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah it's happening everywhere. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if that's because they, they wouldn't have space for for them on a later flight, most likely. Yeah, and that that was exactly correct. The next flight was overbooked. And then when I looked at the next flight uh, on that market, it was like $1,000 because it was oversold. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, the next flight. So to make sure they could get the people out, they held our flight up for about 15 minutes and got a few more people on, which is, that's probably, I like that in an operation to try and you know, take care of the passenger that way. Well, and a lot of these flights are still going to arrive at their destination on time. So mm -hmm. if we wait for seven minutes for uh, a few people, we're probably still going to get there on time. Just to stay on that, my mom got here yesterday, and of course her flight was full from San Francisco. They were offering volunteers a flight at midnight, and it was 11 o'clock in the morning. So there's not a lot available to get people out on. But anyway, enough about my weekend. Uh, Doug, how was, how was your week? My week, uh, as you said, my the countdown is on to airline life. This yeah. weekend is my third to last, I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> regular regular weekend, non-airline weekend. I've, I've got two more after this. And then who knows what my schedule will be for the next 30 years of my life, you know? You don't, no one, I, you, no you one knows. Know until I, I won't know. <laughs> yeah, I won't know until two, two to six weeks prior. Yeah. Yeah. Will you be sitting reserved for a while, I imagine? You know that Chris, that's a great question. And I, I don't know. Historically, yes, I would be. 
But with the amount of people that this airline has said that they're going to be hiring by the time I'm out of training, very likely I might be able to hold a line depending on where I am. I, I really, really don't know. You're going in right seat. Uh huh. Yeah. So yep. it's a, it's a, it's an extremely, uh, um, um, volatile bouncing ball right now in the airline industry. Mm-hmm. My week, I, I work in a, you know, one of the things I, I do now, I've never worked in the airline business. I work for a dredging company. Hmm. I'm a specialist in automation and electrical systems for this company now based in Houston. And I worked for them for 23 years. So the, the nice thing about this company working for them is I get to get on an airplane every Monday morning and fly around to wherever the dredge is and work on the dredge all week. And I get exposed to last minute plane tickets and I get exposed to airline travel. And and through the whole COVID thing, I never stopped traveling. In mm-hmm. fact, I was out traveling on April 14th, which we know, do you guys know what April 14th last year was famously? Yeah, that was the the trough. That, that was the, that low, was the low day. That mm-hmm. was the low day last year. I was actually on three airplanes April 14th last year, uh, Gulfport, Atlanta, uh, Minneapolis, Kansas City. And we had seven people going from Minneapolis, Kansas City. I was the only one in first class. And they had started boarding from the back. And they actually called us all up individually by name. By name. The airplane to the front because there's only seven people on a flight. So Wow. Um, one of the things that my job does is it allows me to travel all over the country. Those doing a lot of international at one time. We had a big international operation in the Middle East. And that helped a lot because I got to do really cool trips. Like I know Drew is from Sri Lanka. And I got to do a, a really cool day in Sri Lanka mm-hmm. um, from Bahrain to Sri Lanka and then up to Mumbai. Hmm. And uh, got to, I went airport scoring in, in, uh, in India and had a day stop and got to see Sri Lanka for a day for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, that's cool how the airlines do that. Unfortunately, my international travel has gone a lot. But uh, domestically, I'm still every week I'm on an airplane somewhere. And so I, I love my job. And, and this week has been... You know, I went down to uh, Texas, went down to, and then over to Louisiana and then back home. Uh, nice and hot and humid and uh, <laughs> rainy, but got the job done. And now I'm home this week to get ready for Airlines International. I get a van on uh, Friday. I load it up. And then um, Sunday, I drive to Phoenix. Chris, so, well, I was just going to say, speaking of Airliners International, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about it and what, what's on tap and why people should be excited? Airliners International is the largest airline history conference and collector show in the country, also the longest running. We're on our 44th year. Hmm. And it was started back in the 80s by a gentleman named Paul Collins is the World Airline Hobby Club. And then after a few years, they changed it to the World Airline Historical Society. And Airline International is where the ab geeks get together to trade memorabilia, to trade stories, uh, drink a little bit, talk about life, uh, and and get together with their friends. Um, You know, the internet has changed the memorabilia world. Um, A lot of the memorabilia that you could only get at Airline International in the 80s and 90s, you can find online now. But you can't find the camaraderie of getting together with other av geeks and airline employees, and mm-hmm. and and there's a the the, the airlines international is as much a collectors uh, meeting as it is a meeting of like-minded people that love mm-hmm. to talk about the history and current, previous anything going on in the airline business. The other thing we do as much as we can every year, we do tours of aviation facilities. We have a fair amount of people that come to the airliners are nationally, either locally or from afar that 
don't work in the airline business. And one of the things they do want to do as an AFGE is they want to get up close to what happens in the airline business. They have this huge love for the airline business, yeah. but they don't actually work in it. So we do ramp tours. We do uh, maintenance tours. Uh, we do uh, control tower tours whenever possible. And uh, Phoenix, we're doing two tours of the Goodyear Boneyard. Oh, wow. Okay. The Phoenix Airport, although we're sold out on the Phoenix Airport, we have a few seats left on the Goodyear uh, Boneyard Tour on Wednesday, the 7th. The Phoenix Airport has uh, graced us this year with something they almost never do, which is a, a ramp tour. So uh, the participants in that tour will get on a bus and drive over to the inside the gates at Phoenix International Airport. And there's going to be two stops where they can get out of the bus and fairly close to the runway and take photographs and watch airplanes take hmm. off and land and then back to the hotel after about an hour, a little over an hour on the inside the, the um, airport. So, but Airlines International is, is we move to a different city every year. Uh, two years ago, we did Atlanta and mm -hmm. uh, we are probably going to go back to Atlanta again. We do it in Atlanta inside the Delta Flight Museum, yeah, which is amazing. absolutely amazing. amazing. Uh, and it's the it, it had, we used the the Renaissance Hotel there in the previous mm -hmm. two shows. Yeah, with, favorite hotel, Doug. I love that hotel. <laughs> it is, and having the balconies, I've got pictures of the balcony on Thursday night, and there must have been thirty or forty rooms where people are out on the balconies mm -hmm. watching airplanes. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. it's amazing to just sit out on the balcony, drink a beer, and just watch landing and takeoff, and landing and takeoff. And so, in 2019, we did Atlanta. 2020. We didn't do, uh, as we all know, and we were able to get the hotel to move it to 2021. Airliners International in 10 days from now, or nine days when the podcast is out, will be the first airline collector show since March 14th mm. of 2020. I was at the last one in San Francisco, mm -hmm. and nobody is, every airline show since then has been canceled until mm. Airliners until this International. One. Yeah, we're the first one back. So just to recap, so you have some tours on the 7th and then the collectibles show on the 8th and 9th and 10th and then a dinner on the 10th. The dinner is on the night of the, the night of the 10th on Saturday night. Um, the tours that we have available, we have some seats. We're running a bus down to Pima on Wednesday. We have some seats left on that that they can still uh, grab. Now, anybody that wants the tours has to do the full $60 registration. That's how we help pay for the shows. Okay. And that gets you into the show early on Thursday and all three days. And then uh, we have space on the Pima tour on Wednesday, uh, which is an all-day tour down to the Pima Air Museum in mm -hmm. Tucson. Plus, the bus will stop and get a whatever is available to see on the fence line at uh, at um, Pinal on the way back. Pinal does not allow any tours. We haven't been able to get mm -hmm. into the the big uh, Marana um, Boneyard, but mm -hmm. we are going to stop by the fence line to see what's there, which is mostly American Eagle stuff, but still, at least you'll say you've been there. Yeah. And then uh, we have uh, spaces for that tour on Wednesday and Friday. We also have a tour with some space on it on Friday, going in the morning to Skydive Arizona. Hmm. Uh, Skydive Arizona has an amazing collection of aircraft. They have uh, seven short Skyvans, five twin otters, a DC-3, a Lockheed Lodestar, a Beach 18, and a Pilatus Porter. Wow. Just mm -hmm. skydiving, and we're going to go down and be able to visit their aircraft. And then, uh, but the uh, the ramp tour on Thursday is, is gone. That, that mm -hmm. went in 
half an hour after we announced it, all the spaces were booked wow, on that great. thing. Doug, we have to realize a lot of our listeners and a lot of AvGeeks, probably most of the people at this uh, show in Phoenix, Chris, are not airline or aviation employees. Mm -hmm. say, I would say that of our crowd, I would say uh, 60% are not airline employees. Okay. So how, then here's the question. So how did you get into aviation not being in the industry? Drew asked me this question. I haven't told him yet, but my, uh, my start of aviation was at 12 years old. I'm 64 now. And in 1968, uh, I'm first of six kids and mom and dad and dad got posted uh, from Chicago down to La Paz, Bolivia. He is an engineer and he was engineering a gas pipeline in Bolivia. And so in 1968, all six of us kids dressed up in our suits and ties because mm -hmm. that's, that's the way you did that's it. That's you did. Mm -hmm. And we flew first class in February from O'Hare Airport to Miami. And I will remember this till I die. We got to Miami and the flight we were supposed to take was Braniff. Mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. Miami to Lima. Wait, what did you fly from Chicago to Miami? You can't Northwest, this Northwest 727. Okay. okay. Northwest Orient. It was Northwest yeah. Orient at the time. Northwest 727. And they had the weird routes from Chicago to, to Florida, which is mm. just a weird piece of their route map. And so we flew on a nice dinner flight in first class, all dressed mm -hmm. up, all eight of us, family up in first class on a 727, probably a 100. Uh, and the flight from... JFK to Miami was late because it's February, snowy, whatever. And the flight we had from Lima to La Paz was only twice a week. So I guess this was a standard procedure for them. They ran us through the airport. Hmm. It was a family of eight just running through Miami airport. At, it was like 1130 at night. And they put us on a Pan Am DC-8 hmm. from Miami to Panama City, Panama. And I remember getting off the airplane and seeing them. They stuck a Braniff sticker on the nose of the airplane. They made it a Braniff flight huh. from Panama City, Panama to Lima, Peru. I don't know if they switched crews or whatever, but it was a had a Braniff sticker on the front. And then we got to Lima Crazy. and connected up with our Braniff 707 to La Paz. Hmm. And uh, while I was in La Paz, I learned how to read an OAG. I went to the travel agencies. I became really enamored with... Uh, with uh, the airline business, amazingly enamored with the airline business. And uh, I learned how to read an OAG. I collected postcards when I, you know, and we also got to, while I was down in Bolivia, we got to fly a ex-American Lockheed Electra. I think that's my only Electra flight in my life hmm. from Cochabamba to La Paz. And then I got back home into, into, uh, into uh, Chicago and then into Cleveland. And I wrote to every airline in the world from the back of the OAG. And uh, for a while there, I was getting more mail than my parents. <laughs> and I put it all up on the walls of the house and had a footlocker full of that stuff. Got into my 30s, I found some airline stuff at Antique Mall and I started collecting again. And I decided I like that better than anything else. And so now I've become this huge, huge, huge collector. <laughs> Favorite aviation moment, I think, is uh, both good and bad. Flying the Concorde back and forth from uh, JFK to London and back. And uh, that was, it was so cool to do that, dressed up in the suit, uh, the tie on the way over, on the way back. I, I visited the cockpit on the way over and was able to talk to the pilots. I asked this in the jump seat on the way over and they said, well, we can't, we have a check ride pilot. On the way back, I visited the cockpit as we started our descent into New York 
And I forgot to ask to sit in the jump seat. There are only three pilots up there. And I went back and sat down about 10 minutes before we land. I went, ah, crap. <laughs> I forgot to ask. So, so I and think part you remember. <laughs> I mean, I've got, I've got a hundred different moments. I can say, I mean, flying the barefoot pilots of the Maldives is very cool too. Mm-hmm. I went the, the twin otters in the Maldives. So yeah. I, I got a whole bunch, but the, the Concorde was probably one of my most favorite and also one of my biggest regrets in that I did not ask to sit in the jump seat for landing back at New York. So Drew, you talked about running it hard this week with full flights and higher fleet utilization. What else is going on? Well, you know, I'm just looking at these news stories and I'm realizing again, I'm getting the one with the cancellations, right? And you're getting the special interest, you know, the you you did did this to yourself, my friend. You said you're gonna tell you what, let's let's flip flop. I'll I'll take I'll take the Are first one. Are you serious? One. Yeah. You're going to give me the the fun one? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I I, I will right. take the first one. This okay. this is from USA Today. It says more weekend travel headaches. Southwest Airlines cancels nearly 300 flights, delays 1100 more. They canceled 225 flights on Friday, 67 on Saturday. This is a week after several delays and cancellations after an IT issue and after American announced nearly 1000 proactive cancellations to give some more breathing room. The Southwest cancellations may be due to residual effects of storms Thursday in Chicago and Denver. With high load factors, sometimes customers can't be rebooked for days. This so is going to be a common about, theme. We just talked about running the running the fleet hard, right? And yeah. then the other element is the horrible weather. You're in California, which is there's really not a lot of weather, but everywhere else, mm-hmm. right? Midwest, East Coast, thunderstorms. Chris, where you are, do you get thunderstorms in uh, Kansas City? Oh, yeah. Kansas City has its share. In fact, we had a thunderstorm when I came home Friday. We had some bumps around a thunderstorm. Actually, the flights coming from Atlanta to uh, Kansas City, the uh, four o'clock one had uh, divert to Omaha. So mm-hmm. you're going to get mm-hmm. some start getting some diversions. They had actually, my friends at, at the airport said that they had five flights all arrive at the same time because they were all circling mm-hmm. for the weather to move south of the Kansas City airport. And they had five airplanes circling waiting to get into Kansas City mm-hmm. because the storms are so bad. Yeah, Drew, this, this is going to be a common problem throughout the summer. Yeah, just the, fr- from this this super fast recovery. Well, the the other thing, the other thing too is there's another. You know, we've got load factors are insane right now. They the are. other thing you've got is that the traveler mix has not gone back to what it was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. The traveler it's mix is business, much yeah. higher. Um, you know, VFRs, you know, yes. VFRs are? Yep. yeah, visiting family and relatives or friends and yeah. relatives. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. There, then there's a lot of people that are not used to how it works mm-hmm. that haven't flown much, you know, with a, with a mix of, you know, 30, 40% business travelers, at least you knew that you could get those people through really fast because they knew what to do. Now mm-hmm. the airline, like you drew what you do, you're dealing with a lot more people that don't know how it works. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. And that's a small part of that is what's happening with all this, um, the uh, people that are getting stupid on airplanes because they don't understand a how lot, it works. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's this, this attacking on the airline people is because people don't know how it works, which is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you got you to gotta be on good behavior, you know, especially with uh, full flights. It's just common courtesy, you know, for your traveling, for the crews and your uh, fellow passengers. All right. Now, staying with that theme, I, I get the, the fun story. Uh, this also kind of ties into that because uh, airlines are bringing airplanes back. So now we have something that, Doug, I don't think we even expected this. So Nobody this expected is, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you What you did? No, I said no. Nobody expected yeah, it. Nobody, nobody did. expected yeah. it. Yeah. So this is a story from uh, Flight Global, but it's everywhere. Lufthansa to temporarily bring back five A340-600s to offer first class from Munich. So the airline had 17 A340-600s 
and stated as early as April 2020 that they would not return to service. This is Lufthansa saying this last year. Mm -hmm. Now, 12 are being sold and five are being brought back. Uh, Lufthansa says the decision was due to a growing premium demand that the aircraft would fly in summer 2022 uh, to North America and Asia. The aircraft would bridge the gap until the A350-900s uh, come on, uh, and they will have the first-class product, and they arrive in summer 2023. Well, uh, one other reason that, that that's happening probably is because those five are probably paid off, and there's no there's no lease rates or anything on them. They're probably mm -hmm. they're probably uh, you know a fairly low cost for them to bring those back compared to going out and trying to get something else to get that lift. Yeah. Have you have you flown one, uh, Doug or Chris? Not at Lufthansa. I, I flew South African. Well, I remember Doug. Your Doug made a. <laughs> I don't. Do you remember this? I think you tweeted out because we asked about it, and your your tweet was slowest period climb yeah. period ever. Yeah, that that airplane climbs so slowly. But I I just want to address this. At first, I I thought, well, this is going to be really expensive for Lufthansa because I thought they had retired all their three forties, meaning they're going to have to figure out how to retrain the pilots and get that operation spun back up. But I saw on airliners.net the other day a picture of an A340-300 taking off from, I think it was Munich this yes, week. Yes, yeah, they're still around. So they still they are still around. And I'm guessing that the 600 is uh, the same type uh, rating. Oh, yeah. No, the 330s and 340s are all common type rating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it, it really, I, I mean, as Chris said, it probably is these frames are paid off. They're trying to find a way to get a little bit more capacity. They need those first class seats. And, and for, for the listeners, we're not talking about business class. We're talking about a true first class. And that's, I think, what they're tr what they're aiming for with this. But what does that tell you about the possible recovery? Drew or Chris? Business traffic, right? Business traffic. So yeah. this is... Well, and you know, though, that the markets are probably going into it that there, there's a fair amount of money. People have a lot of money to spend right now. There's been a lot of people that have built up a huge cache mm -hmm. of money to go traveling. And one of the things that I notice as a business traveler is the airlines have gotten much better at selling mm. premium product and actually cashing for it rather than doing the upgrades. Yeah, um, They've gotten extremely good at offering these people that are now just VF, VFR flyers. Hey, mm -hmm. how'd you like to upgrade? It's $200. Oh, that's cheap. That's cheap. Yeah, I can't do that every week. I can't pay $200 every week. That's right. a lot of money mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. And I'm, I, I'm spoiled because I fly every week and they've been very nice to me because mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. uh, they're the, the bringing back these 340s. There's people that are paying. Yeah. I have some friends that, uh, that live in Mexico. They retired from Berkeley and they've got a big nest egg from a couple of uh, inheritances and they got no kids. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, no we're going to travel two or three times a year and, you know, we don't have anybody to give the money to we're going to go and fly business class. We're going to buy mm -hmm. the business class ticket every time we go. So they're spending three, four or $5,000 for round trip us to Europe. And that's high yield traffic. That's where the airlines make the money. And that, that business traveler to a certain extent has not come back, but mm -hmm. I, I think the A340, the, the other issue on the A340 is they probably have a fair amount of pilots that are pretty close to trained on them. They can probably get them back up in the 340 fairly quickly yeah. Uh, a little recurrent and they get they're probably putting them in there right now they've got guys that uh you know the 330 340 they can probably get them up there pretty fast so yeah and then yeah. the 600s are long enough i'm not sure they probably have a pretty high capacity aren't they yeah, yeah they are very big yeah Doug, do you want to explain i mean for our, li our listeners may not know what an a340 is or an a340 600 do you want to tell them like, yeah describe what it is yeah a340 it's like an a330 but with four engines essentially it's right. it's the same body and and 
they were developed at the same time. The 340 was given four engines because that was before ETOPS was uh, up to what it is today. And, right. and that's that's the being able to fly long distances without a suitable alternate. Uh, and that's why the 340 kind of fell out of favor with airlines was they could use a 330 to fly the same route that a four engine airplane could do. So it wasn't as efficient. The 600 right. is a crazy stretch of the A340-300, the, the, or actually in the 502, the, the base model was stretched and stretched again and, and stretched. Yeah. This and it has much bigger engines. I mean, this airplane is a crazy looking airplane. It's a monster. The, it's a the monster. A3, the A340 600 looks like, uh, reminds me of the 757 300. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, on it's, on yeah, steroids. It's freakishly long. Yeah. yeah. I think it's longer than a 777 300. It, yeah, it is. All right. Well, that's, that's good news about the A340 600. Summer 2022, right? Probably have to put that on the calendar too. Try, probably to try one of those before it's too late. Chris. It's time for you to regale us with some stories. So last weekend, we had uh, we answered a listener question about who is allowed to sit in the flight deck jump seat. We mentioned how the U.S. carriers are much more restrictive than international. We spoke about you jump seating on a 757, a 747, and a Tupolev 154. We don't have five hours. I could sit and talk to you all day about <laughs> this, Chris. So choose your favorite. <laughs> Okay, I'm laughing so, because it's so much good stuff. So choose, choose your favorite. Well, one of one of the things you know, over when you go overseas, and this is a lot more before 9/11, but still happening after 9/11, mm -hmm. um, you could talk nicely to the pilots, and you could sit in the jump seat mm -hmm. if you if you you know, did it well. Um, my first one was 1991. My first trip to Europe, I was flying into London and then Gatwick over to Heathrow, and Heathrow to Warsaw, Poland on BA. 757. And I, I have always taken pictures of airports. My airports has been my kind of my insane uh, love mm -hmm. since the beginning of time, since I loved aviation. I asked the pilot on the in London Heathrow as we, before we departed, I said, which side of the airplane will the airport be on when we get into Warsaw? And he said, I'll be over on the left side. But if you wish, you can come and sit up here in the <laughs> cockpit for landing. I said, oh, really? Really? Can I bring my camera? Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. So as we approached into into Warsaw, I went up and uh, gave me the jump seat. And I sat in the jump seat of a 757. It was so cool, you know, punching through the the clouds and going on into the airport. And then on the way back, uh, I asked if I could sit in the jump seat. And they said, yeah. And I sat in the jump seat. And there was somebody else jawing with the pilots. We're at 5,000 feet mm. on, on approach westbound over Eastern London, and there's still another couple talking to pilot at 5,000 feet, <laughs> which is just amazing. So in in, the, in my other trips over to Europe and South America, I've asked many, many times, can I sit in the jump seat? Um, I got uh, 747 a couple times. I did a uh, 747 jump seat for landing at uh, Bangkok on Cathay Pacific. Hmm. A couple of British pilots, and every third word out of their mouth was the F word. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I did it going into back in 2009. I was flying from uh, Amsterdam to Houston. Wouldn't that wait? Can I just rewind? Wouldn't that be the main word flying back into Kai Tak? This was a departure, and this is 95, so it was a Kai Tak. I flew into Kai Tak on a Delta MD 11, which is mm. a trip in business class, and then flew out of there on Cathay Pacific. Uh, I think it was a 74 300 mm. into Bangkok. Back in 90, 2009, I did KLM and uh, business class and the pilot came to thank us for flying on christmas eve and i showed him some old postcards and pictures and he said oh my dad used to fly the viscount and all this stuff and mm -hmm. i 
told him a story about BA. He said, let me see what I can do. And the flight attendant comes to me about as we're flying over Dallas an hour before landing in Houston and says, the pilot would like you to grab your, uh, your personal uh, luggage and come on up to the upstairs. And they invited me up in the jump seat. Uh, for landing in Houston, Texas on a 747, which in is very 2009. cool. That's 2009. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, it's you know, the rules are different in foreign countries. If if anybody even sets foot in an open cockpit during the United States, pilot gets his ticket pulled. You know, mm -hmm. it, yeah. there is no there is no ifs, ands, right. or buts. But overseas, it's different. And 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 flying in. The, have you ever either? You guys ever flown the jump seat of a 747? I have. Never. Yeah. It's very cool because it, the airplane lands at such a high nose high attitude, and it and it, it picks up a lot of the 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 smoothness of the landing from the huge surface area of the bottom of the airplane, and you almost have to land it. Seems like by feel because your nose is so high. Mm. So that was cool. I did in '97. I did a trip to on Cubana back and forth to Havana, and I flew on the Tupelo 154. And I speak enough Spanish. The, the, the Cuban pilots didn't speak hardly any English, and I get to the boarding lounge and the, the pilots don't go into customs. They just get off the airplane and get back on it again to fly back to Havana. And I asked the pilot, is it possible to sit in tu cabina por este llegar? Can I sit in the, uh, in the cockpit for... Uh, and that's the, the only uh, Spanish expression uh, sentence he knows. That's all you need. That and uh, ne <laughs> ne ne necesito un cerveza. Well, and I and told you that I lived in Bolivia, right? I'm the only person in the family that still speaks Spanish. I learned Spanish oh, wow. years old in La Paz. You know, I lived in La Paz for seven months in 1968, and uh, I still have a fair amount of my Spanish from a previous job. I used to export pinball machines and jukeboxes and video games hmm. to uh, Mexico. I, I spent 20 years in the pinball machine business, and then at 40 years old, went to work in the dredging business. But uh, the whole time, I've been an airline F geek. Well, so, now, Chris, bef before we leave this, so you were mentioning on the 2U-154, the dials are all English, right? Yeah, the 154 the dials are all in English. It's got that really crazy blue-green Aeroflot uh, color in there. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, I'm trying to remember correctly, I think all the gauges were actually metric. Metric, okay. They had conversion tables for landing at Cancun, but all of the, all of the uh, gauges were in English. Now, one more cockpit ride. Coming back from Cancun, I flew mm -hmm. on an Antonov uh, 24, which is twin turboprop. Mm -hmm. yeah. Won't get into that. It's a very cool airplane. I was able, I didn't sit in the cockpit for the takeoff, but I sat in the cockpit for the landing. And it's kind of an ex-military style airplane. So it's got like a depressed aisle in the cockpit and the pilot and the co-pilot sit on little raised platforms. Mm -hmm. And by the way, in that, that airplane, all the gauges were in Russian. So the Cubana pilots spoke Russian. In fact, they were kind of illegal because they were actually doing ATC going into Cancun in Spanish instead of in English, which mm -hmm. is what they're supposed to do. Well, better um, than Russian, I guess. Well, <laughs> they had to read Russian to be able to know the, the gauges. The gauges. the gauges were all metric. But so I got to sit in the jump seat and we were, I got in the jump seat maybe at about 5,000 feet as we're starting our approach into Cancun. And there was a third pilot and a mechanic and a flight attendant standing in that aisle of the cockpit, the entire approach, and then the wheels touched down. Those three people were still standing in the aisle of the cockpit. <laughs> That's great. Not not tied down or anything. They were just sitting and they were jawing with the non-flying pilot. Somewhere I have mm -hmm. a picture of both the Tupelo 154 and the Antonov 24, but to to be in that cockpit and and have those three people just sitting there and just kind of, and, and as we got really close, they all quieted down with the pilot you know, landed, but still yeah. they were standing in the cockpit 
for the entire approach and landing hmm. to Cancun, which is crazy. So yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, so I mean, Chris's stories definitely show how even around the world still there's a, a big disconnect between safety, like in the U.S. And, and Europe compared to other parts of the world. Well, Euro European, I've I've had jump seat rides in a, probably 40 or 50 European airplanes, too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's outside the United States. South America and Europe and uh, uh, and the Caribbean. Um, God, I, I sat in the jump seat of a Liat Dash Eight for landing at Saint Martin. Oh wow! The pilot, pilot saw their phone out. He was talking. The non-flying pilot was talking on his cell phone. We landed, and the pilot was pointing out the girls on the beach down there, the topless beach at the end of the <laughs> uh, as he was as he was landing at Saint Martin. Wow! That, the, I mean, these are great experiences, and, and Chris will have to have you back on and, and talk about a lot more. But let's fast forward to this year. You got to fly on new upstart carriers, both Breeze and Avello. And, and real quickly, for the listeners who, who don't know, we've talked about them quite a bit. Breeze was founded by David Nealman of JetBlue fame. They have a fleet right now of eight E-190, 195s. They do point-to-point -point flights with focus cities in Charleston, New Orleans, Norfolk, and Tampa. And Avello originally established in 1987 as a charter carrier called Casino Express, changed its name to Extra Airways, and then was acquired by former big airline CFO, I believe he was, Andrew Levy, mm -hmm. in 2018. Avello is based in Burbank, flies 737-800s to Western destinations, including Santa Rosa and Phoenix. And they're, I believe, opening up a, a domicile in Hartford. Hartford in, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, Hartford over on the East Coast. Chris, give us a summary about what flying on each of those was like. Well, the, the, talking to my friends about Avello at first, uh, we all kind of went, looked at the route map and looked at what they were using for aircraft and go, this is crazy <laughs> um, because it's such a huge airplane and it's such small markets. I mean, one of the markets is Redding, California. Redding, California has a hard time filling up two CRJs every day mm -hmm. going to San mm -hmm. Francisco. Mm -hmm. They're doing Redmond, Bend, Oregon. They're doing uh, Bozeman, Montana. They're doing Grand Junction, Colorado and Ogden, Utah. And so we're all kind of going, we wonder, are, are, you know, I want to fly them now because I don't know how long they're going to be able to <laughs> exist. And some of the people that flew them the first week or two when they were first starting, they had airplanes with five and 10 people on them. Mm. And we're all kind of going, well, I don't know. And you, you'd think that going into those small markets, they would pick something like an ERJ rather than a 737-800. Um, so I booked it on uh, May 21st to fly from Phoenix Gateway to Burbank and then hopped an American uh, uh, CRJ back. It was $19 for each of us, Elizabeth and I, uh, Elizabeth Vaughn, who's helping run the airline show uh, in Phoenix. She lives in Phoenix. We flew over to uh, Burbank and I was amazed. The load was 65 people for mm -hmm. Saturday morning. And this is a month after starting. Uh, the uh, agent there said they had 55 coming in from Burbank, which is not a bad load. The only seven day a week market they have is Phoenix to Burbank. Everything else they do is two to three days a week, similar to what the Allegiant style mm -hmm. is, uh, only two or three days. And then you know, increase your utilization, you know, you bounce them in and out a lot, but you don't do everyday service. And when I got to Burbank and, and the in-flight service was very nice. We, uh, the airplane that I was on was an ex-Transavia 737-800. So, you know, since it come off the PH registry that it, its maintenance was good. I wasn't worried too much about that. Uh, the interior was fantastic. It looked uh, the crew was great. The one thing that they they and Breeze both did not have set up yet was their buy on board. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why they didn't have that figured out. Maybe part of it was because there was at the end of COVID. 
but uh, uh, Avalo passed out a little plastic bag with a bottle of water and uh, salty and savory, uh, uh, sweet and savory snacks and a little napkin. That's uh, interesting because the buy on board would probably cost more than your ticket. My ticket was 19, but they're starting up that that $19 ticket is only in the Phoenix market. Mm. And if you start looking at some of their fares and some of the other markets, now that they've started getting some loads, their fares are starting to go up a little bit. So when we got to Burbank, um, I started quizzing the gate agents, you know, what's your best market? What have your loads been? Blah, blah, blah. And they said their, their two best markets have been Santa Rosa mm-hmm. and uh, Santa Rosa and Ogden, Utah. And the airplane that I flew in on was doing a quick turn than going to Ogden. They had 95 people going to Ogden on that flight oh, wow. on a Saturday okay. morning. Uh, by the way, what is the alternative name of Santa Rosa Airport? Napa. Oh, is it Wine Country Airport or? Charles Shirt. Charles Schultz. Charles Schultz. Yep. Charles Schultz. Yep. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever, Napa County Airport. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, a little trivia question there. I was talking to him. I, I, I ran into a, a gentleman and his two nieces and they'd paid uh, to go to Redding, California, like 20 bucks a piece. They paid the $19 fare. But he said with all in, with all the uh, seat assignments and the luggage, he paid $200 for the three of them. Mm. So if you're taking uh, $60 in income and you're adding $140 and, in salary, mm-hmm. you know, that, and after seeing their operation, actually experiencing it, I had a much better feel that maybe they are going, maybe they got a little niche. And the, like we talked about with the uh, other jets, the, the three, eight, uh, the 737-800s are actually fairly cheap right now. There's a whole bunch of them parked mm-hmm. right now. So they're probably getting a real good lease rate on them. And then what you talked about, their new East Coast base is going to be in New Haven. They've actually leased three 737-700s mm. to do New Haven, but that's going to take a while because they don't have the facilities to handle the flights right now that they want to do. Uh, but they have to do the 700 uh, to get the range from the short runway at, at New Haven Tweed Airport to Florida. The the guess is that they're going to really push for New Haven Airport to Florida with the 700s. And and, and I will try and if I go back to California, I'll try and fly them again and see what I, I think. I thought a lot better about them once I flew them and talked to them and saw what their actual loads were. Good. good. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, they, hopefully they last. Yeah. Yeah. Breeze, I was working in Charleston. And I was in Charleston the day they announced their first markets and I got a Facebook post and they were opening up in an hour. The countdown clock was on Facebook. I said, well, let's check it out. And I went to the website and the second it opened, I checked to see what their, their schedule was and quickly figured out their, their inaugural flight, which was MX one, by the way, they co-opted the MX code from Mexicana. No. Why did they pick the MX code? Cause it was available. That used to be Mexicana. Yeah, it used to be Mexicana. They picked the MX code because the original name that David Moxie, Moxie, Moxie. That's why. Okay, that's right. So it's it was MX Flight One was Tampa to Charleston on the twenty seventh of May, and it sold out pretty fast. It wasn't actually one hundred percent sold out, um, but I was in Charleston already for work. So why do I go to Tampa? I want to see them and fly them. So I was able to book MX Two up to Hartford and MX Three back from Hartford to Charleston on that day for 98 bucks. Hmm. I figured I want to see what they're like. And I was able to be in the airport to see the inaugural flight come in, Arrive. see all the people. And you talk about some ad geeks. There were some ad geeks coming off of that flight. I'm sure. You know, a bunch of people that I knew coming off that flight and hmm. uh, they handed out a nice little bling to everybody. The Charleston airport had a bunch of bling for everybody arriving. David Nealman did a little press conference there inside the airport. And then uh, we got back on the flight. They did not do the water cannon salute 
at, uh, at Charleston for some reason. They did at Tampa. And we flew up to uh, Hartford. And it was a very pleasant flight. Uh, it was their ex Azul ERJ-195s. They had taken all the video screens out and redone the interior. They're nice seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess when they get their um, uh, newer planes are going to go with a little more of a slimline seat, but it's comfortable airplane. Again, they handed out uh, water and they had a little snack basket for us. I did get to talk to David Nealon in about three or four minutes. It was oh, my first time I'd ever met him. Hmm. Uh, I talked to the uh, operations manager of the airline. I talked to their a um, bunch of their people were working for the airline. And then when we got to Hartford, they did the water cannon salute for arrival and our oh, cool. And we were able to go in and see David Nealon had a press conference with uh, the local news media, had Fox News on that day. And so so able to see that. And then he lived close by there in Connecticut. He got off and then we got on the airplane and had a little cake for us and we flew back. <laughs> the, the, right now, what's going on with Breeze, Breeze is just trying to get operationally get started. And the sweet spot for Breeze is not what they're doing now. Mm. The sweet spot, sweet spot for Breeze is the A220s that they're planning on getting in October. Even mm-hmm. David Nealman said the range that they've got on the A220s, they can go from the Midwest to Mexico. They mm-hmm. can service long and thin routes, kind of like the A220 is to mid-range routes. What the what the Dreamliner is to you know transatlantic and to trans you know to international flights. A220 will give them long enough range to do nonstop service in thinner markets and get a higher yield that way. Mm-hmm. So if they, you know, and, and the other thing that they've already said uh, publicly is that with the 195s that they have now, um, the lease rates are so low, they don't have to fly every day. So if you look at the breeze schedule, there is no Tuesday, Wednesday flying and or Saturday flying anywhere in the schedule right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so Thursday, Friday, uh, 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 Sunday, and Monday. Hmm. So, so now after flying both of these, what's the feel like, do they both feel like low fare carriers or does one feel more business and the other one feels more leisure? Like what, what's your, what, what's the look and feel of it? I think the attitude, the, the, uh, the, the, it, it's a combination that the Avalo is a leisure carrier. It is no doubt because it's, it's not, it's only two or three days a week and it's from very small markets, which don't have that much business traffic going to Burbank. Mm-hmm. They are also going to hit a problem here in the next uh, next year uh, if they want to, they can't really expand to Burbank. They've got, I think, mm-hmm. two common user gates that they've got and they're going to fill up those spaces very fast. They need to come up with a, you know, an, maybe they need to start flying maybe into Ontario. Ontario's got a whole bunch of space. They, they picked Burbank because it was close to L.A., yeah. Uh, they don't want to go to LA because they'll start getting delays and stuff like that. And, and LA is pretty packed. So, um, and, ex- and expensive too. Yeah. Bur- Avalo is going to be because of the markets they picked, even with a big airplane, they're going to be more, uh, VFR than ever business breeze. will start picking up some business travel people that don't that travel for business, but don't travel that much that need to go between these different city pairs that they've picked so far. That might they, be you, right? That might, that? Be you. that might be you. I have, I have not, a, not when he's got status with, yeah, with he, that's a what particular I was thinking. airline. Okay. Yeah. Don't I, tell us. I actually have, I actually have elite status with three different airlines right okay. now. Yeah. You told me that that's great. Top status with one and middle status with two other ones. Yeah. And, I so, hear from Doug, you know, Doug has elite status and some of the perks he gets and you get, I'm sure are amazing. So yeah, that's hard to leave. I like, I like having the club for my, uh, my top level status at the one air, my main airline. I like getting the club access and, 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 if you're top status, if something happens, you're the first person they take care of. Mm-hmm. This was something I'll show you this guy. See, this is something I got 
um, this week. Yes. Well, I've, got, I've got one of those. A lot of that, don't I, they? I've got one of those ones, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. That's I love that personal touch. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. We can't mention, but it, I mean, they... Well, yeah. we can we can mention. So th- he's showing us a postcard from Delta, and it's a postcard with uh, just a personal thank you. You know, mm-hmm. that's- it says thankful. It's Mr. Slimmer. Thank you for being our diamond medallion, three million miler. Our I maybe I was the only one on the flight coming into Kansas City on Friday, and then she wrote a note. Good evening, Mr. Slimmer. I want to personally welcome you aboard our flight to Kansas City on behalf of Delta Airlines and your Seattle crew. We thank you for your loyalty and business. It's my pleasure to serve you today. Hope you have a most wonderful weekend and safe travels. With gratitude, Michelle. That will keep me away from Breeze, but there's an awful lot of people. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm not trying to be negative towards Breeze, but yeah. there's an awful lot of people that live in cities like Norfolk that need to go to Jacksonville or Tampa, or not Jacksonville, but uh, Charleston or Tampa for work. And if you've got the chance of doing a nonstop, um, they're going to get some business travel. But the right. the sweet spot for Breeze is once the A220s come. That's yeah. That's where they are going to flourish. Now they're gonna they're trying to do some other things that are a little bit different. They don't have a phone line. You mm. cannot call them. There mm. is the phone line doesn't exist. Mm. It is all virtual. Um, and then they tried this thing with doing uh, college students and a, a, like a college dormitory thing for the um, flight attendants and pilots. Flight attendants, which they've kind of got some blowback on that. They got yeah. some blowback. Yeah, but, keep, uh, keeps their keeps their costs low. That I mean, but, that's that's the big thing. But you got to say, David Nealman is like I think he's the only person in the world that has a success rate, a hundred percent success rate with every airline. Now, can you name all five of his airlines? What was his um, first? I can name three. Go ahead, Doug. What was his first? His his first was Morris Morris, Morris Air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with June Morris. And what did he do with that? Uh, sold to Southwest. Right, and then he had a five year non compete against mm-hmm. Southwest. Yes. So what did he do next? So he went to Canada, WestJet. Helped start. I don't know they had much ownership, but he helped start WestJet. Get WestJet mm-hmm. going. And yep. what happened the day his non-compete ran out with WestJet? He came back to the U.S. for JetBlue. He had thirty million in the <laughs> bank to start JetBlue. Yep. And then JetBlue, he's he's a he's a um, he's a. It's been acknowledged in reading in his writing that he's got a little bit of ADD, and <laughs> so he he ran the airline for a while. But then there was this big meltdown a few years into the airline where, during a snowstorm, mm-hmm. and he kind of got he got the boot. Well, I, I wasn't going to use those words, but you yeah. can. <laughs> um, and so what he did, ne- what did he do next? So then he went to Brazil with Azul. Which he can do because he was born in Brazil to Mormon missionary parents. Mm-hmm. So because he was, he has Brazilian citizenship besides his dual citizenship. So he can actually own an airline in Brazil where somebody that wasn't born there can't. So, uh-huh. and he speaks fairly That's good cool. Portuguese. So he went down there and I actually am friends with the guy that came up with the name Azul, a guy named Gianfranco Betting, Panda Betting, that came up with the color scheme for Azul. Actually, by the way, the same guy that did the color scheme and the, and the uh, color scheme and the name for Breeze. Hmm. Uh, so well, it's uh, always blue, right? Yeah. <laughs> Azul is blue. Yes. He's, he's everything he does is blue. He started Azul. And then after Azul, he kind of ran into the same issue with Azul that he had with Jet Blue. And then he went and did uh, his consultancy, went and worked a lot with Tap Air Portugal. And then he had this idea for Moxie. And now he's got his number five, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. He's a serial, serial airline entrepreneur and been successful with everyone so far. So you'd never bet against David Nealman. All right, Chris, we wish had we had more time to hear your AvGeek stories and not just the stories, but all the, we got a lot of information on this episode and you did a great job vetting us. Doug won that. I could only name three of Nealman's airlines. I think, uh, Doug, you got all of them. Mm -hmm. 
including WestJet. I didn't think about WestJet. But anyway, before we go, let's remind our listeners to visit Airliners International, the Airlines Inter- Airliners International Conference in Phoenix. I also want to give a shout out to your partner, Chris Elizabeth Vaughn. So she's the one that I reached out to. and uh, She's the one who actually got us connected. Right. So yeah, thank and, you. Elizabeth. Oh, and and we, we also have to say a uh, mm-hmm. shout out to Bill Demers, who's our other third partner in putting this together. Right. Bill, Bill and I go way back in this. Elizabeth's new at uh, dealing with all these Habkeek people and stuff. <laughs> Bill and I go way back. We're both collectors and we do it as kind of a, uh, as a triumphant this year to get the job done. And once again, the event starts on July 7th and it goes through July 10th. Yeah, the tours tours are on the 7th and then the mm-hmm. trade show starts on the 8th. All the information, if you go to airlinersinternational.org or the link you've got on your website, mm-hmm. uh, scroll down to the bottom of the page. There's a whole schedule. Um, and then also, if you are not, sign up for our emails on the webpage for the World Airline Historical Society, there's a link. And once you are in our email database, you'll receive all the information about our show, the annual show. And we also keep a list of all the other uh, one day and larger airline shows around the world. We keep a listing on the website and on the email blasts. So that was airlinersinternational.org. Yes. And this, as we talked about, this is the first airline show since the start of COVID. So that's amazing. Yeah. So um, if, write that down. If you didn't, just go to nextripnetwork.com. You'll we'll have a link to airlinersinternational.org. Chris, unfortunately, I won't be able to be there because I'm getting ready to start my new job. But Drew will be there, and I will make the next show. As I already said, I, I put the dates in my calendar. But I, I believe you have an exciting announcement to make, Chris. Yeah, we're doing a little exclusive announcement. We've kind of um um um. We've kind of teased it on a couple of the emails recently, but this will be the first actual public announcement. You guys get to let it, we'll let everybody know through the podcast and it'll be in an email in the next couple of days. We have signed the contract for Airliners International 2022. We are doing it the 23rd, 24th and 25th and then of June next year. The 22nd on Wednesday will be tours as we normally do. And it's going to be for the first time ever in Chicago, Chicago yeah. Airport. Prior to uh, this year or next year, we've never been able to do Chicago because the hotels, you know, we do cooperative deals with the hotels and room nights and all to help pay for the show. And they were always a too high price for us. But back in March, I approached one of the hotels and they were still a little bit COVID hungry mm-hmm. and they gave us a pretty good deal. Uh, we we're doing the Hilton Rosemont O'Hare Airport. Uh, it's got a shuttle back and forth to the airport. It's about five minute walk from the uh, Rosemont uh, CTA station. Mm-hmm. So you can buy Perfect. a day pass and get anywhere around Chicago on it. On Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, we have a $109 room rate to uh, stay at the hotel and let everybody know for sure that the hotel, your hotel bookings for Airlines International help pay for the show. Uh, a little bit higher on Wednesday, $119. We also have a special, uh, very limited offer of a special room rate at the O'Hare Hilton, which overlooks the ramp. Mm-hmm. It's right there in front of the terminal. Room rate for staying there and a special, very limited room rate for guaranteed airside view mm-hmm. on the top floor is staying at the O'Hare Hilton. So nice. not as nice as the Renaissance in Atlanta, but <laughs> a little bit more variety. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there, it's it's a really nice hotel, and there's a shuttle back and forth. And like I say, Chicago in the summertime has lots of great stuff to do. Or the weekend after Father's Day, but the weekend before Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. Perfect and timing. Our, our international travel, tra- our international traffic will be back. We'll have 
uh, a lot of the international dealers. And so I'm looking forward to a very big show. Uh, we'll have all sorts of really cool tours and uh, stuff like that. Uh, we're working on some really great stuff. And so Airliners International 2022 ORD. Mm, exciting. Okay. All right. So exciting. Definitely count us in and many of our listeners for that show, uh, Chris. For this year's event, I will be at the Collectible Show Friday afternoon and Saturday for dinner. So if any of our listeners are there, I would love to meet you. So send me a message via. You're, you're going to be you're going to be at the show on Friday, all day Friday. Uh, Friday afternoon, and then uh, all Saturday. Saturday, all day Saturday, yeah. yeah, and Saturday, and then at the uh, we'll get you'll have a little badge to have your name on it, so everybody comes oh, in Drew. Through next trip, yeah. Drew will call you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> awesome. Now, well, well, Chris, I I think you have a a raffle for this year too, right? Yeah, we uh, want to help people that are listening to the podcast come to Airliners International in Phoenix this year. So we are going to uh, put up eight one-day passes. I have wanted to put a, a quiz question together that you couldn't easily Google. And last night I got home uh, about 11 o'clock and I thought, what could I do? And I, I came up with, I think was a pretty cool idea. So the question is, and it, you, it, what you need to do is uh, we're going to, do a comment on your webpage, right? You're going to go to nextstripnetwork.com, go down to contact, and you're going to send us your answer via the contact button. Okay, so when you have the answer, you get one guess for every person. And the first eight people that can guess the correct answer to the question will win a, a pass to Airline International. And as a sideline, if you can guess the correct number for this particular question, I'll even have a special... Uh, a special gift for you when you come to Phoenix. So the question is, in March 1960, the airlines had started moving from uh, Midway Airport to O'Hare Airport in Chicago. The first jet flight to O'Hare was in 1959, March of 59. American was the first scheduled jet service into O'Hare. There had been a few flights prior to that. By 1962, every fixed-wing airplane, air, uh, every fixed-wing flight from Midway had moved O'Hare by the middle of 1962 and there were no until 64 when united went back there weren't any more flights at midway march of 1960 14 airlines had started service into o'hare airport they were american braniff boac capital continental delta eastern north central northwest pan am trans canada twa and united now, the highest number of flights for that March 1960 was with United. United had 58 flights in and out of O'Hare, uh, March 1960, according to the OAG. American was number two at 30 flights in and out a day in the, from O'Hare. What was the number three airline in March of 1960 flying in and out of O'Hare Airport out of those 14 Great question. Airlines? And that is quite a list. Just hearing all those airlines, a, mm -hmm. a lot of which are yeah. no longer with us, yeah. is, is so, pretty impressive. So United was number one. American was number two. What was the number three arrival and departure airline at O'Hare in March of 1960? And if you can guess the exact number that I counted anyway, out of the OA, OAG, you'll even get a more special gift. So once again, you'll go to nexttripnetwork.com, go to the bottom of our homepage, and you'll see um, where you can click contact and just send us your answer on that. And we'll take the first date. You'll have uh, a, a pass, a day pass for Airlines International waiting for you at the uh, check-in counter. Just give them your name and say you were one of the net, uh, next trip people. And uh, we'll uh, give you the free admission for that day when you come into the show. 
Thank you so much, Chris. That's going to be a great partnership. Doug, anything else for Chris? Well, I, I just want to say, hopefully we, Drew and I have provided good enough AvGeek credentials that you'll keep us around. But right. normally, yes. normally, it's, right. normally it's the other way around. Well, I'm, it's nice of you to say that. I mean, it's nice to be recognized for the crazy stuff that's in my brain. You know, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and I have a lot of knowledge in it. And I, I love the business. Never worked in it, but I love the business. So. Yeah. Well, I, all of us app geeks have all this useless information in our head. I definitely have all kinds of things. So it's nice to find a group of people that um, we can share that stuff with. Mm -hmm. um, we and, really appreciate it. And the Airlines International, you'll meet so many people that are all just like me to a certain extent and more and less. And people are always stressed about flying. I find flying to be the most relaxing thing you can do mm -hmm. in your life. It's great. I make decisions every day in my job. You know, what do I need to do about this? What do I need to do about this? Once you sit down on an airplane, your decisions are on a short flight is um, is uh, whiskey or beer, and then <laughs> it's, uh, it's chicken or beef. You know, on a long flight, <laughs> yeah. And on a long flight, it's what movie am I going to watch? You know, sound familiar? So, yeah, yeah. And it's, right. and it's the situation. It's for me sitting down on the airplane. It's the world is over until I land again, and it's wonderful. My, I just, I just really relax out once the airplane. Once I sit down on the airplane seat, so. Yeah. Now, Chris, it was great talking to you. I can't wait to meet you in person. This def this podcast definitely is not as long as we want it to be because we could spend all day talking to you. All this stuff is so interesting. For our listeners, this podcast is your show. So uh, go on our website, nextripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. 